Welcome to the Wordsmith Podcast. I'm Josh Bennett, lead pastor of Awaken Church, joined by Jeremy Shane Sub. Peace. And Matthew Grady Calhoun. Hey. And we are back for the last episode of Season 5 of the Wordsmith Podcast, what? continuing our discussion of the Summer on the Mount. Man, it seems like this season has just by. Um, yes. Yeah. Which we're doing something for, for the listener, you wouldn't realize this, but we are doing something this season we haven't typically done. We record two episodes a day. Yes. In our recording, so maybe that's, that's why right. it seems a little faster. I me. think that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have kind of sped the process up. We're of just recording. in the podcast studio for longer periods of time. Yeah. Sure, 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 sure. So it, it's been fun season. That's right. Yeah. It has been. Yeah. That yeah. was a good season. Yeah. All right. So here we go with our question conversation card for today. Who is your all-time favorite artist, okay. actor, author, musician, painter? Etc. All right, so I'm actually going to answer this one first. Go um, ahead. So I specifically chose this one since it's my last episode, uh, and I just like talking about stuff like this. I did want to mention there was a couple uh, potential ones we didn't discuss because uh, I was obviously. So if you remember from early on, our conversation cards. These are literally cards you can buy from Amazon or whatever. It's like 400 questions. So <laughs> I was trying to find like a good one. Uh, so I want to share some of the ones I passed on. Um, what's your favorite cuss word? thought that was probably not appropriate for our podcast. Yeah, it probably wasn't. <laughs> um, I thought it would have been a fun discussion, but no, ultimately probably probably, probably not wise. Another one was, do you believe in the supernatural? thought that would have been a pretty funny one for us to discuss. Um, since that would have been interesting. We literally do believe in the supernatural, but not in the context they meant it. Yeah. <laughs> they meant aliens or UFOs. Yeah. Or ghosts. Or ghosts, yes. Um, seen a ghost one time. The Holy Ghost. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just some other funny ones, travel or not. But if I, I, the reason I had to go with, do you want to travel more or less over the next several years or whatever, is because I've been going back and forth to Tampa, and my answer to that is, is definitely no, because I just want to be in one place for a while. Um, but no, so I chose who is your favorite all time, uh, all time favorite artist, actor, author, musician, painter, and man, this is a really tough one. And I kind of hate my answer, if that makes sense. Like, I think it's the most honest and sincere answer, but I still, I think, I kind of hate it. It is probably C.S. Lewis. Why would you hate that? That's such a pastor it's, response. It's, it's such a pastor, like, obvious pastor response, but honestly, yeah. Hey, I'll tell you what, over five seasons, you've quoted him quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I've read him, I, I started first reading him in, when I was in college, probably in my second or third semester or whatever. Did you start with Mere Christianity? Or screw tape letters. You know, oddly line. enough, it was one of the worst. <laughs> if you're going to start reading Sir Lewis, this would not be the book I would recommend. It was actually um, the problem with pain, which is hmm. one of his harder. Well, I say it's one of his. Were you like it's a, up there. Were you like an emo depressed college student? <laughs> I think somebody, yeah. surely somebody at, at at school recommended it to me. There's no yeah. way I just randomly picked that one up. <laughs> Um, I was go- I, I was going remember, for though. a surprise by joy. That's that was <laughs> yeah. my that's uh, that that was one of the, that was probably the second or third one that okay. I, I thumbed through. Yeah. I actually don't think I ever finished that one. I'm real bad about starting books and not finishing them. So but I feel no, like every Christian should read Mere Christianity. <laughs> oh yeah, I think it's a very good yeah. book to work. Both through. my girls have read it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, really, um, I literally think every Christian should read that book. Yeah, I think I think a, probably like a small group setting for that book is very very good because then you could kind of discuss it with other people. Um, but yeah, so. I, if I'm going to have to pick just one, I would have to say C.S. Lewis just because I've read him for years, uh, both his fiction and his nonfiction. He's obviously most 
famous for his nonfiction, but I like his fiction. There is uh, I've not actually read the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, Shame on I you. know, I know, I know. I just the can't. movies are way better. I just can't. No movie is better than a book. <laughs> no I, movie is better than the book. Maybe one day, like I could read with them with Leighton or something, but I, I just can't myself just read them. I have to have somebody else to kind of hold me accountable for the Chronicles of Narnia. Sure. Um, but he did write. Um, die had die hard. C.S. Lewis people remember this. He did write a series that is often referred to as the Space Trilogy. Because the first two books take place in space, but then the problem with calling it space trilogy is the third book takes place in Earth, which technically the Earth is in space. But that just I hate the they call it. So really nerdy people like me will call it the Ransom trilogy because it was based off of the main character's name. But yeah, it was basically this idea of this character Edwin Ransom, Doctor Edwin Ransom, who's re- loosely based on a uh, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, travels to. Um, Mars and then Mercury, I think. You see, either Mercury or Venus. Who, what's the second planet? Venus. Uh, no. Mercury, Venus, right? Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars. It's bad that we don't yeah. know this. It's Venus. <laughs> Venus. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then he travels with that one, and that one's called Perlandria, which is probably I'm my already favorite asleep of the three. <laughs> it's science fiction. Um, him and and Tolkien was supposed to write. Supposedly, this is if this is true or not. They agree they're going to write these um, science fiction books. He was going to write one about space travel, and then Tolkien supposedly was going to write one or two on uh, time travel, and his never got to fruition uh, or whatever. Anyway, I thoroughly enjoyed both of them, uh, all three of them, particularly the last one because the last one's just so weird. It's so different from the first two that it's almost like he was writing a completely different thing, um, and I'd like weird stuff. And then even I was thinking, so the, the question is, who's your favorite all-time artist? One of my favorite movies all-time is Shadowlands, which is a movie that's based on his uh, marriage to Joy uh, David Grisham or whatever. Huh. Or Gresham, I think is how you pronounce, pronounce right. that. Um, so he even shows up in more characters than just literature. So I, I have to go with Lewis. As, yeah. as, mm. as much of a basic white pastor net answer as that is, it's just the God's honest. Yeah, I'm going to answer in a... Pastor Matt style, I'm not hey. going to answer it properly. Hey. Oh boy! And here's what, like, I, I've, I compartmentalize all these things. Like, I have my favorite, like, actor, writer. Like, if I was going to talk about like writing, it would be like William Golding or Sir William Golding, sorry, or um, John Meacham. Um, mm-hmm. I like a lot of his. Uh, he's got a great podcast too, uh, so I, I like him. If, if I'm speaking about like uh, music, I mean, I, my music, if you know me, is all over the place. Like, I like like Michael W. Smith and Petra, but then I also like, like back in the day, it was uh, a lot of Garth Brooks and Dr. Dre. So, <laughs> yeah, those, those two go together in the same sentence often. So, uh, I don't, you know, I don't know necessarily who. I would like musically, and if we're talking about acting, who I'm just curious, who would you say was my favorite actor? Denzel Washington. No, man, that's actually a really tough one. Yeah, uh, Nicholas Cage. Yeah, I know, you would go with like shoot him up type things, yeah. and yeah, he's sure. he's done. It's a he. I would say it's a he. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, all right, just give it to us. Yeah, go ahead. No, Matt's got a guess for us. Uh, Josh is our right. guest. Um, goodness gracious, Charles Bronson. <laughs> Charles Bronson, <laughs> dude. First of all, Charles Bronson could not act. 
Um, uh, I put him in the same, like I like his movies, but I put him in the same category with Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris is not a good actor. Yeah, okay. But anyway, uh, Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah I, I would have never guessed that. Okay. Yeah. No, I can no, see I, that. I like just, I mean, my favorite movie he was ever in was Legends of the Fall, man. Sure. Great movie. I thought just, you were going to say Beaches. No, it was Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah, i never seen that. So. Yeah, different actors. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like j- pretty much every movie I've ever seen Brad Pitt in, man, I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think he's, I think he's a great actor. But so that would be mm. that one. So, um, but if I was going to go like hardest, like, one I have never talked about on the podcast is hey. Frank Lloyd Wright. I like Frank Lloyd Wright. He was a writer, architect, builder. He's got sure. uh, several iconic, iconic uh, houses and structures that he has designed and built. And as a matter of fact, he actually, uh, early on in his career, one of the houses, the one in Chicago, I uh, forget what park it was. It was The name of it was Park House. Uh, but is actually the trend of houses was to copy that one, like in building at that time. But in his later years, he's at, he actually designed furniture and built it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Frank Lloyd Wright, I really, really like a lot of the stuff. I actually have, uh, in college, I actually wrote a paper on Frank Lloyd Wright mm-hmm. because he, um, in, at least in building, he's the one who kind of epitomized form and function in architect and building. Um, It it really wasn't a thing necessarily before then it was more utility, you know, was, was kind of the, but his was form and function is kind of how he designed and built houses and, and some commercial structures as well. So yeah, Yeah, I'm going Frank Lloyd Wright because he's, he would be an artist proper, I guess, because he, he designed and built buildings Mm -hmm. and, and furniture, and he actually wrote some books. So yeah. I didn't answer favorite actor because I don't have one. It's just too hard to pick. I think mine's Denzel Washington. If I, just, I, if I, I mean, just it's hard actor. to. I mean, you're talking about one of the greatest actors ever. So I mean, that's yeah, a solid de- answer. Yeah, yeah, definitely a good answer. No, but he's, yeah, he's not I my favorite. One. You know, as I was reading the card, it became clear to me that my favorite artist of all time is Michael Jordan. Shane's made it clear he doesn't think that's an artist. I think it is an artist because what he did, he transcended the game of basketball. He did, yeah. Like, I don't like basketball. I love what Michael Jordan did. Mm-hmm. He carried teams on his shoulder. He did impossible feats. He did things that you shouldn't be able to do by playing the game of basketball. And Definitely the GOAT. Yeah. I mean, oh, yes, the sir. greatest I mean, basketball player of all time, I think that's a form of art. I think sports in general is a form of art. If we're going to, you know, it's that's up for debate. But Well, now that you say that, I do remember, I don't know what, I don't know sports casters, but he was a famous one during that time. He did say, like when Michael Jordan did the whole, you know, um, dunking from the free throw line, mm-hmm. he said that, that, you know, he, it was an artistry that he, because, because, yeah. you know, he, he, he composed himself from the free throw line to the to the goal and, like, you know, tongue out. I mean, it, it became iconic because, I mean, it went on all of his shoes and mm-hmm. all the Jordan merchandise that kind of – I think now he's kind of – he's still under Nike, but kind of it's, it's – uh, the Jordan brand is its own yeah. brand, yeah, billion-dollar brand. brand or whatever. But so, yeah, that, that whole thing became very iconic. And I will say, I will put it on the record, I did like Space Jam. The you know the yeah, first one that, Space that he was okay. In. His Hanes commercials are golden. 
Um, it is Hanks, <laughs> right? Not Fruit of the Loom. It is Hanks. I believe it's uh, Hanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If memory nah, serves But, I mean, I just don't see another athlete ever doing what Michael Jordan did as far as transcending the sport say, that way. He's really you talking about just first. in basketball or you're saying? I'm just saying like, that the fact, I mean, he's so, like, he is bigger than the sport of basketball oh, in yeah. my mind. He's transcended it. And I don't see anybody else going, okay, you know what? Aaron Judge is bigger than baseball. I just don't no, see that. Sure. You know, I don't. I don't see any athlete ever doing that again. Was Babe Ruth not bigger than baseball when he was playing? I don't. I mean, I didn't keep. I, I mean, maybe I would say you could make an time, argument. Yeah, yeah. That's why I said I again. But yeah, um, you've had enough greatness since then, or what have you? Um, no, I mean, really, what's one of the other interesting things about Jordan is he's the first athlete who really became a brand. Now, athletes all back to the earliest days. Endorsements of, of, and all of, that. Yeah. Advertisement or whatever. They they would use their name to put out products or whatever and, and make money off of it. But Jordan truly is a brand. It is like this idea that his the weight that his name carries, even still to this yeah. day, is unlike anything else we've ever seen. In fact, you know, over the last... If you're a basketball fan, and I'm sure we're probably not too many basketball fans yeah. listening to our podcast, but over the last you know 15, 20 years, you know European basketball has gotten really good, and you have a lot of stars now in the NBA who came from Europe. It's not that they didn't play basketball for Michael Jordan, but the amount of exposure that Michael Jordan brought brought a whole nother levels of excitement and interest in basketball to where now yeah. even these guys who I mean were just kids. When he existed, um, yeah. uh, when he was still playing professionally or whatever, they now are, are largely in the league due to his influence, which is still just wild to think about. Yeah. See, and I think you could make a case that Tom Brady has done something similar, but I still just don't think it's on the same level. No, no, no. definitely not. Football is just different because you're talking about 22 people. You're talking yeah. at least 22 people, whereas basketball, you're just talking about one of five guys. So it, there's just there's the numbers aspect of it. Um, and then also there's just some, uh, somebody getting there first or whatever. Yeah. I remember arguing with one of my teachers over Michael Jordan. Really? Let me tell this story. So real quick. So the teacher was – it might have been like a uh, – I forget what class it was. It was in the social study branch of school. I forget if it was EBFE or citizenship or whatever. But anyway, so he was making the case that it's – it's immoral that they paid Michael Jordan. I think then it was like $35 million for one season, which, I mean, they probably get more than that now. But anyway, that was kind of unheard of money. They're like, man, they're, that's, like, they should not be paying Michael Jordan. I mean, there's other players on the team. He made all these different cases. I'm like, no, like those people are not coming to see the Bulls. They are coming to see Michael Jordan. Sure, yeah. And so if you're making a team $200 million – it would not be bad for you to say, "Hey, I want thirty-five million yeah. uh, of that money because I'm making, I'm a product, I'm making you yeah. money." And I mean, there's no doubt that when he quit playing, their attendance dropped. I mean, it's oh, just yeah, like tremendously. And so I, I made the case that Michael Jordan was worth thirty-five million dollars for that one season because that's who people were coming to see. You and can make the point; he was worth way more than that. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like mm-hmm. I said, I think now. It started out the Jordan was a brand of Nike, but as as Matt was saying, Jordan is a brand in and of itself. It is independent of Nike, even though it is manufactured yeah. by Nike. It is it is a brand that's independent of of any like Nike could cease to exist, and you could still have Jordan. It, yeah, you know, it's oh, kinda, sure. It'd be interesting to see how much 
the Bulls' revenue dropped from the time Michael Jordan moved on to what Washington to the uh, time yeah, he maybe he like five years for later a year or two, and then ret- I came back. Yeah, because you'd have to give a little bit of time for like the after effects to sure. die down. I say maybe five years later, how much their revenue would drop. That would give you a probably pretty good idea of what he was really worth to that team. To some, uh, to some degree, but even I think a better way to look at it would be like, what was the Bulls financially before he got there? Yeah, that might be better. Because too. even after he left, there was still that awe that he had, he kind of brought them up to. Because they were, sure. I mean, they were the laughing stock of the league prior to yeah. Jordan getting there. And they're still not doing especially well now. Uh, certainly haven't won any championships, but it, they're not t- to the, the absolute seller that they were before he got yeah. there. And when you see a Chicago Bulls uniform, your mind still automatically goes to Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah, of course. Gosh, how many years has he been out of the sport now? 25? <sighs> yeah. So he retired the second time, I want to say it was 2003, maybe. Okay. He's been out of the Bulls since – oh, you're saying he retired from the Bulls in 2003. Oh, no, he retired from the Bulls in – 99? Uh, 99. Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking 23 years. Well, He's been out of – Away from the Bulls. Yeah, 98, sorry. Yeah, that sounds right, because he came, he had his little stint in the minor leagues. Basically. Yeah, that was in the mid-90s. Yeah. Wasted the prime of his career. <laughs> Did he own part of the Wizards when he was playing for them? I'm sure he worked out some kind of special deal. Yeah, there was there was a yeah. special circumstance. Because there. There I, I remember hearing people he saying, back, I, I remember hearing people say that since he owned part of them and nobody was coming to the games, like they were just poorly attended. Oh, yeah. Like he started playing to get the attendance up, and then once he got it yeah, up is when right. he quit playing. I remember that being like a – More or less a publicity stunt. Yeah, it, it was more of a – I mean, I remember that being a storyline during that – what was it, one or two years, a couple of years? Two years, I think. Yeah. I think he's still, to this day – I could be wrong about this. I think he's, to this day, the only former player to then end up becoming an owner. Um, and probably in yeah. the, uh, certainly in the history of American that, uh, sports, and probably not internationally because internationally you're talking about a whole other animal. But yeah, I, I don't think anyone else has done that, which is actually pretty wild because that's a very exclusive club. That's 30 people. 30 yeah. people in the world own an NBA team. And there's one of them. Yeah. All right, well, let's dive into something more serious in the scriptures. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29, will wrap up the Sermon on the Mount for us. Pastor Matt, would you read those for us? Yes, sir. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. So here we have the conclusion to Jesus' message, the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached. And he chooses to give us an illustration of rock and sand. So what is the difference between building your life on the rock and building it on the sand as Jesus describes here for us? Well, obviously he's... uh drawing like a word picture on mm-hmm. foundation. And again, this, this part goes with the verses that were before it because he's, he's making this clear distinction of those who are, who are in Christ and those who are not. So I, I think he's drawing that land, um, no pun intended, in the sand uh, and saying, you know, those who, those who build their, spiritually, I think he's, those who build their, their life on Christ prosper spiritually and those yeah. who 
build their life on the sand, crash and burn, basically. Yeah, I, I don't think, and uh, of the three of us, I'm the one who's least qualified. You don't have to know a lot about that to understand. Building on a rock, good idea. Building on sand, bad idea. <laughs> sure. Like, building on sand, not going to work out in the long run. That's not a solid foundation. Um, so he's using something that is kind of obvious to people to kind of expound upon the value of this is what it is to live in the kingdom of God, to have your being in me and to follow after me. And if you do not do these things, this is what your life will ultimately look like. Yeah, what steps can we take to make sure that we're building on the rock? And I think that's what Jesus has been doing here in the Sermon on the Mount is giving us the rock Mm -hmm. to build our life upon, what his kingdom is, the foundations of his kingdom. And so how can we as believers say, okay, I want to make sure that I'm following the true Jesus, the true gospel, the true kingdom of, of heaven, true kingdom of God in my life. So what things can we do to make sure we're taking those steps? Well, I mean, he, he says it there. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine hears and acts on them. Yeah, listen and act. So it's it's something that his brother years later will build off of, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Um, so you have to hear, right? So if, you're, if we're trying to talk about practical steps of this, you have to hear the word. So you have to spend time in the word. Uh, you have to, um, you can't just do by your gut. I, I think there's value in times and places to follow your gut. I do think you have the Holy Spirit who uh, at times is going to give you direction, is going to just maybe n- not even a solid direction, just something in you that says, you know what, this doesn't sound like a good idea. I, I, I need to say no to this. So uh, there's some degree, uh, to some degree that is valuable, but you still have to live and to dwell and abide in God's Word. Um, so that his thoughts will kind of slowly over time, over years, become your thoughts. And his ways uh, of, uh, of saying this is what the world is will kind of seep into the way, and you'll likewise understand that this is how the world works. Um, so there's much value in, in, in spending time in the Word. And then lastly, you have to actually you know, do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which Francis it, Chan always makes a real big deal about that, mm-hmm. like um, actually doing the word and not hearers only. Of course, he's going off James, but I mean, uh, like you said, James just echoes what's being said here. So it makes you wonder like, okay, James was probably present for this, uh, I would assume. Maybe. Um, there's no there's, you know, there's no definite answer to that. But, you know, he he makes the the analogy, I guess, that when we were kids, we understood this. Like we would play games like Simon Says and Follow the Leader. And uh, in both of these, you knew the rules were simple. Whatever Simon says, you do. If Simon doesn't say it, you don't do it. And he said, you know, somewhere along the line, we've kind of changed the rules. And so we're like, well, Simon didn't say don't do it. <laughs> you know, we kind of we kind of twist that a little bit. Uh, it used to be Simon says do it, do it. Simon doesn't say do it, don't do it. And now we're like, well, do I really have to do what Simon says? I mean, Simon didn't actually say I shouldn't do this, and so maybe it's still okay to do. Like, no, that's you know, you got to listen, and you got to actually do. It kind of sounds um, a little bit like, did did God really say you couldn't eat the fruit of this tree? Yeah, and and the same thing would follow the leader. You you want to imitate or reflect whatever the leader is doing. You know, same thing with following Christ. Whatever. His word says, "Like, hey, you, this is this is what I'm like." Then that's, you know, that's our example. So we should be looking towards that. Why do you think Jesus chose to end his message with this topic? Because this is his, his conclusion. 
wrapping everything up, why did he settle on this as the way to, to end it? Well, it's a pretty solid place to end. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, hey, do all the stuff I just told you to do. Yeah, yeah. it's a summation of yeah. the entire – like he's been talking the whole time about kingdom citizenship. You know, I'm the king. This is my kingdom. This is what it looks like to live in my kingdom. And then he goes into these this um, whole section on you've heard it was said, but I tell you th- those verses – um, basically not not dismissing what was said before, but uh, kind of upping the ante. And then he kind of closes out. He's like, okay, so now choose. You know, you can you can live in my kingdom with me as your king, or you cannot. Yeah. Um, and, it, I mean, there, there, there's definitely a choice there for who, you know, for the hearers. And apparently they were pretty impressed because, it, you know, it says they were they were astonished because, he was speaking as one with authority. They, you know, he wasn't saying like the scribes would say, "Okay, this, this is basically this is what somebody else said." Right. Jesus didn't say, "Hey, this is what somebody else says." He says, "This is what I say." Yeah. Uh, and so he he is speaking with one as one with authority. So. In fact, I mean, you hear you, you've heard it said, but yeah. I say unto you, right? Yeah. Um. So you know, what is it? What are all the things about this teaching of Jesus that stood out? You know, they said. Uh, it was kind of a mic drop type moment. Jesus gets done with this message, and the next verse is, everybody was astonished. I could just picture, yeah. you know, jaws dropped because yeah. this man spoke with authority. So what are all the things about Jesus' teaching that caused it to stick out to them? You know, you've mentioned one really important one there. He wasn't mm-hmm. just repeating what other people said, but he was bringing his own authority to it. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think there's something about human nature to where we want to be able to trust in or lean in on some sort of authority. Now, sometimes that's our own authority. You know, it tends not to work out very well. And sometimes we choose bad leaders and, and bad teachers to listen to. But I, I, I think that's, honestly, there's just something about us. We need some kind of authority to stand on. And it, it was different from what the scribes were doing, because the scribes were trying to say, well, if you look at what, uh, what the, these past rabbis have said and how they've understood it, and honestly, to some degree, preachers to this day do this, and I don't think that's wrong, because I think it's a bad application of this passage to say we need to preach with the same authority that Jesus preached with, because I think that's misunderstanding what he's talking about here. But then what made Jesus different was this idea of this absolute authority, my word is the same as God's word, which for them was, to some degree, uh, was blasphemous and hard to hear, but like nobody else was saying. Very least like scandalous. Yeah. I, th- I think... Sometimes you hear, maybe they hear would hear rabbis speak on things, and it really wasn't a culture in which you questioned anything. Like, but I, I would imagine, like sometimes I think, sometimes maybe when I hear somebody preach, I'm like, I don't, I don't understand this or whatever they said. Mm-hmm. And so I think throughout the whole message, when Jesus is saying those verses, like you've heard it said, but I say. Those are clarifying statements. He's he's clarifying the law, and so I think for some of the people who like, hey, I really don't understand how this applies or or what I'm supposed to do here. And Jesus clarifies that, and it's kind of a light bulb moment. Okay, I get it now. Yeah. And so I think a lot of that may have been taking. But of course, that's just my subjective viewing of the situation. Sure. But I think some of that probably took place. I mean, you, you have it occasionally as pastors preach. I mean, we've even, this has even happened at our church. Like people say, 
You know, I never really understood that verse till till today when you preached it. And I'm sure you guys have heard people say that as well. And so I'm like, okay, if it happened on occasion sometimes to us, what what if Jesus was preaching this whole message and, and he's talking about a lot of these things? That probably was a big factor for a lot of the audience there at the time. So Yeah, and it shouldn't be brushed over. He was God in the flesh. Yeah. So I mean, obviously he's the ultimate authority in all the universe, so that's gonna be come across to people. And I think that's part of why it's recorded here in the gospel is to allow us to know, hey, when he spoke, it was different, mm-hmm. different than anybody else. And, um, and he, he was also anointed with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Which up to this point, their only experiences of that were with the, the Israelite kings. And honestly, let's be honest, probably David and nobody after David was really anointed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, but uh, other than some prophets in some particular instances. So that obviously had to stick out to him, I have to imagine. Yeah, for sure. No doubt when the message was over, people were blown away. And when you flip the page over to chapter 8, you see that as Jesus came down, from the mountain, many followed him because they were drawn to him and to his teaching, mm-hmm. to this radical kingdom. But ironically enough, as they actually started following him, this radical kingdom sounded better than what they were willing to commit their lives to. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back in just a minute for our deep dive into the idea of doctrine, theology, and deep biblical thinking. deep dive. And today we're going to talk about this topic of doctrine, theology, and deep biblical thinking, because I think all of that classifies as building your life on rock, on the rock. And there is a sense, and, and I don't know if this is just a now thing or if historically this has been true as well, but this idea of, I don't need all those things. Just give me a little bit of application. I don't want a church, maybe like a non-denominational church, or I want something that isn't so stringent on doctrine and all those different things. So why is doctrine important? Why is theology important? Why is deep biblical thinking important and not just fluff application-based studying of the Bible? I had a conversation one time with a guy, and he said, I don't think we ought to preach doctrine. We ought to just preach the Bible. And because I, okay, I judged him in that moment. Sure. Because and here's I was like, dude, you don't even know what doctrine is. Then if you I mean, if you make a statement like that, because first of all, and the only thing I could quote him was Paul says, "Hey, teach sound doctrine." Like mm, that's, that's right. what he yeah. exhorts them to do: teach sound doctrine. So, are you saying we we shouldn't do what Paul says? I don't, and I don't understand what what he meant was uh, you shouldn't preach church of God doctrine or Baptist doctrine or Presbyterian doctrine. Like he, he, and I don't, I think that's even a foolish statement as well, but I think that's what he meant. Like he, he believes that we should just preach the Bible, not, not our slant. Like that preach the Bible. Don't just preach why other people are wrong is what he meant. It's not what he said, but I knew him well enough. I knew what he meant. But, uh, yeah, Scripture literally says we should teach doctrine. But it says teach sound doctrine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, those things matter, I mean, because that's, that's how we live. That's how we think. That's how we interact with people. It, 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 it encompasses all of those areas. Yeah. 
So it, it's helpful to remember. Um, it's a little tidbit, but it, I do think it, it helps um, guide us, particularly in this area. So the Greek word for heart is cardia, which in a literal sense means gut. But <laughs> what when the scriptures use the word cardia, heart, what we translate as heart, um, it's talking about the seat of the will. So that's where your mind and your emotions and your physical person, they all meet at that point. So sometimes we have this bad habit of thinking about theology and doctrine as it's just simply the stuff up in the air. And sometimes it certainly can be, and if you read enough <laughs> articles and books, whatever, sometimes it is just like, what in the tarnation are we talking about? This has nothing to do with everyday stuff. That, that is true, but those things always have a way of working out. To your body. We've talked about this throughout uh, the sermons, uh, excuse me, sermon series, through this podcast season is this idea, what's in the heart is going to make its way out into the world. So mm-hmm. part of the reason why it's valuable to study theology and doctrine and, and to meditate on these things is because it's eventually going to work out into your life. The yeah. convictions you hold there, what, what God's words reveals and what it speaks to and what it points us to is going to eventually work its way out into our lives. So on that reason alone, we should spend time dwelling upon it. Now, does that mean, again, we need to be like, as we've talked about earlier, you need to be both a hearer and a doer of the word, so you don't want to lose the sight of it does, you have to do stuff, but you have to hear it first or whatever. And, and that's what I think a lot of uh, Scripture study and doctrine study and theology, when it's at its best, and it's not always at its best, when it's at its best, it's the first part of that equation of hearing and then giving you the opportunity to then go and to do. It's like trickle-down so, theology. Well, you know, your statement when people say, well, you don't need to preach doctrine, and I've heard that, you just need to preach the Bible. And what they typically mean is you just need to find a passage of Scripture and don't think about what your doctrine or theology says. Just read that passage and preach it. Mm-hmm. The problem is that it's our doctrine and theology that holds us accountable to study the whole counsel of God. Sure. Yeah. You, you guys are familiar, I don't think many of our listeners will be familiar with the term systematic theology. And basically systematic theology means a theology that is complete and whole in, in the aspect that all of, it all works together. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't contradict each other at any right. point. But if I'm just, okay, i got no systematic theology, I've got no understanding of doctrine, and I pick up Matthew chapter 7, I preach it, and then I go to 1 John chapter 2 and I preach it, but, but not with any relation or connection to Matthew chapter 7, there's no anchor to hold me to interpret these. For example, the great example we've looked at in our series of Romans, Romans chapter 4, James chapter 2, you've got Romans chapter 4, saved by faith, um, righteous God, nothing that we do, James chapter 2, faith without works is dead. Mm-hmm. You could preach radically different message about messages about those two chapters, yeah. but when you have systematic theology, when you have doctrine that's holding you to, you have to go, okay, I, I've got to balance these things together in a way that's consistent and true to God's Word. So I think that this doctrine and theology understanding helps anchor you um, to that truth and to at least some truth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my thought is I, I'm never going to be arrogant enough theologically, doctrinally to think, you know what, I've got it all right. I am 100% sure that there are theological and doctrinal things that I do not understand that I am wrong about. I don't know what they are. If they did, I would change it. Mm -hmm. But I believe that you have to to believe something to hold you accountable to that whole system of saying, okay, i got to make sure all of God's Word works together and not against each other. I I remember when I was in youth group, we had a sign on the wall, you know, 
nineties youth groups was all about posters all over the wall. And it was the, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. That's right. It was also Aaron Tippin's song. Yeah, there we go. And ninety two. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's true though in the fact that if we don't have some anchor holding us that you know, you could just pick up any, and, and I get, they, they're they well-intended in saying, just preach the Bible, mm-hmm. but to preach the Bible, you got to know the whole Bible, and you can't know the whole Bible without having doctrine. Yeah, that's right. So, um, R.C. Sproul said, he was speaking at a conference, you know how, uh, and this is always my favorite part of a conference, I don't know why, but when they have a panel discussion, they have yeah. like five or six guys sitting on stage, they either uh, text in or from the floor ask questions. And I forget even what the question was. I just remember his answer. But he said, there are some things that I have settled on. Like I, I have settled thoughts on certain topics, certain scriptures. And he said, there are some things that aren't settled. Like I, I believe, hey, I could be wrong. And he, these are political issues. These are doctrinal issues. And he says, so, but he said, now maybe I'll get to heaven and Jesus will straight me out. He'll tell me where I was wrong. He said, but he'll have to be the one to do it. And he even, I mean, he even alluded to, you know, uh, sometimes we can be arrogant in our thoughts. It's kind of where he was going with some of that. He didn't say it in those terms, but but I always thought that was a really interesting, I always liked R.C. Sproul's take on a, a lot of things like that. Uh, very practical. So I, I think doctrine is important. If you don't have that anchoring belief, you're going to just get tossed and froed. Every time you hear somebody preach something, you go, oh, yeah, I'm going to believe that. Oh, wait, no, I, that makes sense. I'll believe that. Mm-hmm. It's it's important to have foundational truths and doctrines as you believe in because you can be led away by false prophets. Yeah. You know, you can be led away by false teachers. You can say, you know what, okay, today I'm believing the kingdom gospel because I heard that message, but tomorrow I believe the prosperity gospel, and next week I'm, you know, faith healing, whatever. And um, And I've certainly seen this played out with people that have no foundation upon which they believe. And so whether it's perfect or not, I think you need to, to have some settled thoughts on it. Yeah, most of the time people, are, when they say don't preach doctrine, they're, they're saying don't preach denomination. Yeah. Which, again, I think is still a foolish statement because here, here denomination just means a set of beliefs. Like if you're in part of a, a I mean, there's several of them, but a Baptist denomination. There are certain distinctives, but basically that means this this is our uh, a set of beliefs, mm-hmm. you know, or reform circles or, you know, whatever it may be. So to say, and I've had people say, I don't want to go to a denominational church. I want to go to a non-denominational church because they just preach the Bible. Like, no, like they, they, they got a system of beliefs, too. Right. Mm-hmm. They have a doctrine. Because denomination just means set of beliefs. So if you want a non, and I know what they mean, non-denomination, they mean like I don't want it Baptist or Church of God or whatever. But no, if if it's if it has a set of beliefs, it is a denomination. Now it can be a denomination in and of itself, which again I would think would be kind of dangerous. And has history has proven that it is dangerous if mm-hmm. if that is true. But most churches are like even like. Um, some churches that would categorize themselves as non-denominational, like ARC churches, but it's association of related churches. Like they're in basically an association with other like-minded believers, Hmm. which is all a denomination is. It's just these, these, these are the people who align most closely with my deeply held beliefs. So that's why I'm part of this denomination or that denomination. So 
we, we have to get away from that sort of thing. And I mean, it's just, it's basically just, you know, yeah. well, education. Some, some people get in their idea, their mind that, well, if a church is a denomination, then they're really just trying to promote that denomination. And I think that's more of an outsider view looking in than a real, I mean, I, I can't look and go, you know what? Yeah. These people are really just trying to promote their denomination. No, I think if you believe certain things about the Bible to be true, of course, you're going to preach those things. Mm-hmm. I've had a guy say, don't, don't preach Baptist doctrine. Well, I'm going to preach it because I believe it. Yeah. Like, I think that's what the Bible yeah. say. I'm not just going to go, oh, well, this guy doesn't like that, so I'm going to change what I believe. You know, like, it's not I'm preaching doctrine that lines up with Baptist because I'm trying to promote Baptist. I'm, I'm preaching yeah. what I believe well, to be they true mainly, about the Bible. A lot of times what they mean is you you don't— I don't believe what you're preaching, so you know yeah. you're so you're not preaching the Bible. You're just you preaching your Baptist doctrine. Yeah, it's like no, it's just I, you can put whatever label you want on it, but yeah. this is what it's I, a backwards argument because they're thinking you believe the Bible says that because you have your doctrine belief, but it's like no, I have my doctrine belief because I believe the Bible says that. Right. Yeah. You know, but anyway, you may be in as a listener, and going, you know what? I don't want to get my mind too wrapped around doctrine and I don't want to and, and you don't have to geek out about it you don't have to go read systematic theology books if but you, you do, should if you want to read systematic theology books we got a great one for you to read but the thing is you should at least have a set of standard beliefs that you believe in your life and I remember as a young Christian uh, I was 17 years old so I've been a Christian for three years I had went to a wide variety of churches um, I went to Church of God. I went to Southern Baptist churches. I went to Methodist churches. I, the list goes on and on and on. And I remember when I went into my home church, what I call my home church now, I was 17 years old, and I asked the pastor if he had a treatise. I don't think I called it a treatise because I wouldn't know what a treatise is, but sure. a treatise is your statement of beliefs. I said, do you have something that tells me what your church believes? And he's always joked ever since then that, I'm the only 17-year-old that's ever walked into a church asking for a treatise. But might be the only person. Yeah, but <laughs> I took. I, I remember 17 years old, a fairly new Christian. I went home and I read the the Free Will Baptist Treaties front to back, and I said, "This most aligns with what I believe to be true about the Bible." The reason I'd gotten to that place is because I had heard so many different teachings about salvation, about forgiveness. Uh, you know, I've, I I remember hearing one time uh, somebody came in. It, there was a youth group leader, and they said, you know, when you get saved, God gives you a white robe, and every time you sin, you get a speck on that robe, and when you ask God to forgive you, he cleanses that robe, and if you ever die without that robe being cleansed, you're going to go to hell. And I just remember sitting there going, six, 15, 16 years old, going, man, that doesn't sound like the gospel. Like, that doesn't sound like what I'm, And so that's why I was looking for somewhere to go, okay, what do I really believe about the Bible? And I, so I didn't read the trees and go, okay, I'm going to believe this because I read it in this book. I read it and said, okay, that's what I think the Bible teaches, Mm-hmm. And so I committed to be a part of that movement and kind of led me to where I am now. But whatever it is, have an understanding and commit to it. All right, we'll be back in just a minute to wrap up this episode and season of the Wordsmith Podcast. We are back to wrap up this season of the Wordsmith Podcast. Let, let's start because we got a multiple layers of questions here. Let's start with this. What are your takeaways from this last few verses of Jesus on the sand and the rock 
building your life upon the rock. I've always liked these verses, I've, especially as a youth pastor, man. I bet I've done a hundred different devotions off of yes. these. And I don't know, maybe it's because my background is in building, you know, so I'm like, hey, you know, he's, he's talking about some things that I understand and maybe I can kind of get some insight on them. So um, I, I've always, I mean, I've just always, and these are verses that are, that are um, very well known, probably because of youth pastors like me who did a hundred different devotions on them. Yeah. So people just remember. But the thing is, my youth pastor did, you know, several different devotions off of this section of the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, that's why it was so memorable to, memorable to me. So I think it's just the idea of hearing and doing. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Neither of those things, I guess, are easy. I think hearing is probably easier than doing, but honestly, I don't think hearing is always as easy as no. we tend to think it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, just hearing and doing, there's so much good um, in the scriptures in general, but in particular, the Sermon on the Mount, and there's so much that applies to the whole of our lives, um, special occasion things, everyday things. There's so much good there. If we, if we would just commit to hearing it and to doing it, we'd all be better off. Yeah. You know, um, we talked Michael Jordan, Nike earlier, so I'm going to just do it. Yeah. Just do it. Just build your that life on Jesus. was a very big campaign of theirs. You know, and, and I do think this is just, reason there's a million devotions is it's such an easily understandable principle to build your life on something that matters, on the foundation, on the rock, which the scriptures tell us Jesus is the cornerstone. He mm-hmm. is the foundation. So build your your life on him and not on all these fleeting things. What's your takeaways as a total on the Sermon on the Mount? I don't know, like, over, I mean, you know, because read it, preached, I mean, we preached the whole series through the Sermon on the Mount one time. And, but I do like this format to be able to do the Sermon on the Mount because we can kind of get get down a little more in the weeds, something you can't necessarily do whenever you're preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. But I guess my overall takeaway is uh, is kind of the 30,000 foot view of the Sermon on the Mount, like like Jesus is the king, this is his kingdom, and this is what it looks like to live in his kingdom. So blessed are you if you listen and do these things because, you know, you're you're in my kingdom. I, I think it, I like anything. I don't know. I've drawn anything that points to Jesus' kingship, I guess. So My takeaway would be that Jesus' kingdom is radically different than the cultural kingdom um, this world, and Jesus makes that pretty clear throughout this message, that Jesus' paradigm is different than the human paradigm. Our life is different um, as we follow Jesus. That Come and follow me, and um, what a ride it is. So, Pastor Matt? Yeah, I, I think it's that same idea. Uh, we kind of hinted at the previous, or easily I hinted at the previous episode, about that God's kingdom is a kingdom of abundance. Ultimately, now there's going to be times where it is lean. There's going to be times where you have to fast, and there's going to be have times where you have to mourn. Sure, but in the long run, in the great sense of things, it, it really is a kingdom where there is uh, no shortage of things. There's no short, uh, no lack of what you need of good, um, and you just have to hold fast to that and, and trust as you walk that narrow way, as you follow after Christ. Um, that he's going to provide for your needs, and he's going to bring you about to the promises that he's made to us and for to all who follow in him. Great thoughts. Um, today, this week, is the end of an era here mm. at Awaken Church. Um, Pastor Matt. End of an era. It Man. is the end of an era. 
That's what you they guys, say when Michael Jordan retired. <laughs> you guys will be listening to this weeks and weeks later, yes. but um, today is the Thursday before Pastor Matt's last Sunday here at the church. Mm-hmm. And Pastor Matt's been pretty adamant throughout all of this. He's going to wait and say his goodbyes at the end and not yeah. drag out. But it is our last podcast. It is. And Sunday is your last official Sunday here um, on staff at Awaken Church. And so we're going to give you a few minutes to share your thoughts on your future and Awaken Church and leaving and all those things. Sure. Uh, well, as of the time of this recording, future is still very much up in the air. I <laughs> uh, don't have a lot of, uh, I guess I don't have a lot of clarity in that as it stands right now. But it will be down in the greater Tampa area, uh, St. Petersburg, Clearwater, Largo, whatever you want to call it, for the foreseeable future with um, Alyssa and Layton. And I'm very excited about that. I've been praying about this for a long time. And, man, it's funny. I thought about it the other day. So I, let me see. So I, I consider the beginning of my adult life in truth to be when I was 25 because that's when I, I took the church there in Texas. Cause, I mean, college, again, you're an adult when you're in college, but you're really not, but you kind of are. But you think really you're aren't. an adult. but In some ways you are, some ways you aren't. Anyway, it's a weird in-between state. Uh, so that means, I mean, I mean I've been praying for this for at least 10 years, if if not more than that, and definitely probably a little bit more. So it is nice to kind of see, man, this other I prayed a really long time. It's actually finally happening. <laughs> Too often I get stuff that I pray about for a long time, and I don't actually stop and be grateful for it. So I don't want that to be the case here. Um, so I look forward to that greatly, uh, to be able to be with them and start a life with them. And yes, I'm going to miss Awaken. Awaken's been very good to me, and I'll go on and on about that on the 23rd uh, when I said I was going to compartmentalize and get it all set out then. But uh, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure and an honor to be able to serve here, uh, to be able to work under uh, Josh and Shane, uh, two men I hold in high regard, and it's just a time of learning and, and, and healing for me, as I've, I've talked about before. Um, I'm definitely not the same person that I was when I first got here. Um, and I think I'm definitely a lot better off <laughs> than I was. So I've had a pretty good influence on you. You, you are more like Shane. Is what I, that's what I'm hearing. That is is you're, definitely not what I just said. Uh, <laughs> I think it is fitting. Matt is moving down to Tampa, St. Petersburg area because mm-hmm. that is the like the biggest retirement area <laughs> probably. And Matt is just – he's well-aged beyond his actual age. So, he doesn't so, do anything anyway. So, um, <laughs> so that, that'll be good, I think, for him. So I think so, yeah. I mean, again, I've made the joke several times. My doctor's excited. I need more sunlight. I need more vitamin D. <laughs> See, he's already sounding like uh, like a senior. He's talking about his doctor visits. I mean, come on. Oh, and what you guys don't know behind the scenes is Pastor Shane's trying to create a little humor so he doesn't cry. That is, that is that not. That's definitely I, Hey, I true. did just, just since we're talking about that, I did ask Matt. I was like, hey, when you're on the stage this Sunday, do you think you'll shed a tear? Possibly so, but, but uh, by the time no you hear this. No spoiler alerts here. By the time you hear this podcast – Pastor Matt would have already said his goodbyes yes. that Sunday, so either he does or he doesn't. But you'll be—that'll be your memory. So as you're listening to this, you can think back: <laughs> Did he cry that Sunday, or did he, he not cry? cry and that more Sunday? importantly, keep your eye on Pastor Shane. That's right. See if there's any tissues a, over in that corner. We'll have a second no. camera. I on mean, Pastor I. Shane. Nah, I don't. I mean, I've enjoyed Matt being yeah. here. You know, Matt has influenced us as well. Uh, not always good. No, not <laughs> always good, but mostly good. Uh, 
Yeah. But uh, I can say this with with all heartfelt sincerity. Good riddance. <laughs> yeah, right. No. i tell you one thing I won't miss, though. And yeah. Josh can share whatever his memory is. I won't miss the short shorts. I don't know about you, Josh. <laughs> but the four-inch Chubbies ins- are gone. But- I've been trying to talk to Austin about it. but he- the- no, We're actually, we're <laughs> actually putting we're it in the, the, in the new employee manual. To- <laughs> there has to be at least a seven-inch inseam. I, I wish he could wear – I wish Austin were – no, not wear a four-inch inseam. Wear your four-inch <laughs> inseam. Mine are five and a half. Okay, sorry, sorry. For the sake sorry, of the record. Sorry. The sake oh, of the record. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> that would be hilarious. It would be funny. Now, what would be real hilarious is if we would get um, Austin a blue jean shirt and a red bandana so that he <laughs> could lead. the Riveter. So you he could what? lead. Katrina asked show. me that the other day. Are you going to bring it back the, the headband for oh, the last service? Don't. Alyssa probably made you throw that away. She tried to, actually. No, she <laughs> actually <laughs> sold it online, I, I think. No, I still have it. Oh, online. you know, this is where I wish, um, you know, at the end of a, like, series of say like a sitcom or something mm. they'll show all the funny moments oh, back yeah. and stuff i wish we could yeah. have a montage <laughs> um play here some of our greatest memories it would be nice um yeah. i too will reserve most of my remarks for sunday but i'll say pastor matt has been a valued asset valued member of this team yes um, yeah you know i i made this statement the day that he announced his uh, future plans to the church you don't replace people because people are not objects they're not gifts they're people and um, pastor matt will be missed greatly here Uh, we will move on we'll continue to do ministry Mm -hmm. we're excited about austin but there will always be a missing of pastor matt because Mm. you don't replace people and um we're excited for him and his future um Alyssa, good luck (laughs) and uh but we are we're very very happy for you we uh, as well have been praying with pastor matt for the last five years Mm Um, and what God is doing, and so we're excited to see how his future blossoms. And I have a suspicion we'll see him from time to time. Yeah. Maybe so. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up Season 5 of the Wordsmith Podcast and the Pastor Matt era here at Awaken Church. And no matter how you listen to us, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, almost anywhere the podcast are played. Thanks for listening. Like us, review us, and there will be a Season 6. It'll look different. It will be coming. You guys will be excited about it, and we'll see you then.